What's up, Transit Church? Good morning, everybody, and happy Sunday to you. If I've not met you yet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're worshiping with us today, particularly if you're uh, here for the first time. Thank you for finding us, and uh, we hope that you're encouraged as you worship with us today. So last week we finished a three, four-month series in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Today we're um, kind of in an interim period. We're going to, in a few weeks, uh, move on to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. But in the interim, we're going to look at a few psalms. And so this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 46, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 46. And as is our tradition, uh, we're going to read these words out loud together. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take a couple minutes to read the scriptures out loud together with us. Here's uh, the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease. To the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, we're grateful for this day and for the gathering of your church. Uh, we Again, thank you for technology that allows us, a scattered church, to to come together by your spirit uh, as one. And so we don't take uh, take that lightly. Uh, today, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that uh, we would see uh, Jesus uh, glorious and uh, intending for us, interceding for us, caring for us, defending us. And uh, Lord, that you change us in the process. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. So as we approach Psalm 46, what I want you to do is just to imagine Imagine that whatever you might think the worst of the worst thing happening in your life has just happened. And that really is what Psalm, uh, Psalm 46 is, is suggesting. This is a song for when you feel overwhelmed by the chaos of your life. This is a song for when that nauseous feeling comes over you that, uh, that, that you can't control a thing of all the things going on in your life. It's like your life is spinning completely out of control. But more importantly, Psalm 46 speaks to God's real hope, to our real fears. And that's what we want to end up on. We're going to jump right in. And so in verse one, we have these beautiful words that, that displays really who God is to us. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalm, psalmist begins by inviting us to confess, firstly, that God is a refuge and a strength for us. He's a, he's a hiding place. When, um, when I've depleted myself of anything to hold myself up and to defend for myself, God is those things for me and that. These are metaphors, and really these metaphors have little meaning to us when everything is going right. You know, when, when, uh, when I don't need God, when I, I'm able to do everything I want to do, 
uh, sometimes even without thinking about God, these mean very little. But they mean a whole lot when our world is crashing down. And that's the context of this psalm. In verse two and three, the psalmist describes his worst nightmare coming true. Some of these words pop out to me. Verse two, that the earth gives way. The the mountains seem to be moved. This immovable, uh, majestic creation of God is moved out of the way. Verse three, the, the waters roar and it foams. Commentators say that the author is describing perhaps an earthquake. But I think to the to the Jewish mind, to the Hebrew ear, the psalmist is really doing more than just describing an earthquake or maybe a landslide or some kind of a flood. Again, this is poetry and there's some creative uh, license going on here. And so these images are, are metaphorical. The psalmist is is describing really the undoing of the entire created order, like everything is being displaced from where it should be and how it should operate that the entire world is falling apart. And for us, this mimics those times in our lives when it feels like uh, like everything that uh, that was stable in our lives has been undone. And it's a picture of chaos reigning, really where we don't want it to reign. Look particularly at verse three. Verse three, uh, these words stick out that the sea is raging. And so is the picture uh, that uh, things are so violent that in, in the seas that even the mountains are trembling. And what the psalmist is doing is he's painting a picture uh, as if the, the sea and the mountains are in a battle with each other. And, and we should stop and think about that for a minute, because amongst God's creation, there's nothing um, more majestic than the mountains that God has created. I mean, think about the, the, the they're the tallest landmass. They're sometimes the, uh, the most enormous landmasses on the face of the earth. And then we have the seas. If you've gone out and stood on the shore of the ocean, the power of the of the the waves coming in. But more importantly, if you've been on a ship out in the middle of the ocean and you I mean, you you recognize just how powerful water can be, particularly water in the middle of the sea. And even here, the picture is that the, the these majestic mountains are trembling in the face of the roaring of the sea. And here's what the picture that the psalmist is giving us. He's saying yeah, the whole world is falling around apart, uh, apart around you. Uh, your whole world is falling apart. Your worst nightmares are coming true. Everything that you thought was stable uh, has become undone. But then it's as if the, the, the psalmist is pausing here and then turning the corner Here's what he does. He, 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 help, he helps us to, to look at all of this, all the things that are happening, and simply, confidently, defiantly say, we will not fear. One Bible scholar reflected on that phrase, therefore, we will not fear, that we see in, in verse 2 when he writes these words. He says, I know of no more radical profession of faith than these words. Anywhere in Scripture, therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist walks into our deepest fears, and he says to our own hearts, don't, don't fear. And so if your world is falling apart, your worst nightmare has come true, and you've lost any sense of the control that you really want over your life, and chaos seems to be reigning, the psalmist says to our own hearts, don't fear. That earth, uh, requires a little bit of explanation. When the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear, in verse 2, he's conjuring up all those things in our lives that actually bring us to those fears. It's those apocalyptic uh, thoughts that we have. It's the apocalyptic things that we read. It's the movies we watch. Remember Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12 last week? You had the uh, the cataclysmic end of all things, uh, the uh, 
the, the picture was horses and chariots and uh, riders coming together. But of course, that's a picture of the Antichrist going to war with all of the world. But, but look again at verse two and three. The emphasis is, at least for me, is on this word, though. And it's a word that the psalmist repeats four times, though the earth, though the mountains, though the waters, though the mountains. And it's, it's as if he's saying, you know, even if the words actually happens, we don't have to fear. Because it's, it's not just the end of the world stuff that causes us to fear or to be anxious, is it? A lot of times it's just the day-to-day stuff. That's the stuff that we, that we chew and gnaw on our fingernails about and that we worry and lose our hair about. And so verse 1 through, one through 3 is really an encouragement for us not to fear, even if the worst happens or, or any, if anything less than the worst happens. The psalmist assumes that we are going to face trouble. Did you hear that? The, the, the psalmist here is, is assuming that we're going to face trouble in this life, like, like threats to our well, well-ordered world, like right now, like threats to our safety, threats to our security. And that means if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to face trouble. The psalmist assumes that the very things in our lives that we thought were stable, unchanging, immovable, all of these majestic, really stable, cannot be moved mountains in our lives, that at some point, some of that stuff is going to be upended. Maybe not all of it, but surely some of it. In other words, the, the promise is not a life free of trouble. That's not what the, the psalmist is, is, pro, is promising here. But the promise is that God will prove himself trustworthy in the midst of our trouble. And that deserves an amen. And so, folks, no matter what you believe about God, no matter if you're a follower of God, a seeker, a cynic, a skeptic, Psalm 46 is for you. In fact, Psalm 46 is, is your story. Psalm 46 for us tells us both about ourselves, but more importantly, it tells us about God. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of our time together. And I really have two points, only two points. And the first is what this psalm says about God. The second would be how this relates to us. Let's firstly look at what this psalm says about God. And the first thing that it says about God is that God is a very present Help. Go back to verse one. I love the description that the psalmist gives in the latter half of verse uh, verse one. He says, in times of trouble, God is a very present help. He's a very present help in our time of trouble. Uh, this is a, a, a verse that I, I think I pray and recite this verse every time I pray. And when I pray, it, I'm reminding myself, all right, I need help. God, come help me. But I'm also reminding God of what he's promised to me, that when I'm in trouble, he's going to help me. You guys remember back uh, in the old days when we used to actually get in our cars or go to the metro, go to the airport, uh, go through security, and then get on an airplane and fly somewhere? Maybe a few of you are doing that, but that was pre-COVID. And so... Uh, once upon a time, I had done that. This is uh, a year ago, January 2019. I was flying to uh, Columbus, Ohio, actually a suburb of Columbus, and I was going to preach a men's retreat for my favorite pastor friend, uh, Dave Shooter. And I had gone to the airport right here at uh, Ronald Reagan Airport. I got there early, sitting down uh, with a little bit of time on my hands. And so I'm listening to music, a uh, little uh, unknown to me. Uh, the gate for my flight had, had changed. And so I'm listening to music, having a good time. Look down at my watch. It's about 15 minutes before my flight should be taken off. And I haven't heard anything. I go to the counter. 
oh no. Like the, 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 the door had closed, the plane was moving back away from the, uh, from the gate, and I had literally missed my flight. All right, so there, there was this uh, OMG moment going on in my heart. Um, firstly, because I had to figure out the travel mess that I was in. More importantly, I was supposed to be in, in, in like four hours. I was supposed to be in Columbus, Ohio, preaching a men's retreat all that weekend where I was the featured speaker. I was the only speaker for a whole weekend before 500 men. And so I'm, I'm kind of panicking on the inside. Well, I was panicking on the outside, too. I, 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 uh, I called my buddy Dave and said, Dave, I got a problem. And of course, and I explained it to him and uh, we were trying to sort that out. In the meantime, I had to figure out my travel mess. So I go up back to the counter and say, so I need to get to Ohio like today. And uh, the agent at the, the, the counter says, uh, uh, so no problem, Mr. Toomer. I can help you, but this is the last flight to Columbus from our airline today. And so you're going to need firstly to call uh, and, and go to American Airlines reservations. And of course, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I didn't want to do that. I wanted him to solve my problem right then and there. He didn't do it. I called. And of course, I get someone on the line. And this person on the line was nice and polite and they wanted to help me. And as soon as at that point where, you know, the, the agent should help you, this is what he did. I'm sorry. Could you hold for a second? Yes. He put me on hold. No sooner did I get on hold, I hear these words. Thank you for calling American Airlines. It's been our pleasure to serve you. We strive to provide you with the best possible service. Your opinion matters in the moment. And you're going to be transferred to an automated survey where you're like, humana, humana, humana. It was, it was insane. All right. I didn't take the survey. I actually hung up because I was frustrated at this point. Okay. And so, uh, long story short, this agent, that call, that survey, None of that stuff was a very present help in my time of need. All right. So to resolve the story, I actually did get to Ohio. Uh, I, I missed the first night. Uh, in, in fact, it's, it's kind of crazy. Nick, if you're out there, you remember this. I actually took an Uber, came back to the office. And like what I'm doing right now, I broke my iPad out. I preached a sermon to an audience of none. I closed my laptop. I got in an Uber. I went back to the airport. I went through security and I connected my laptop to a hot, like my, my phone hotspot. And I uploaded like 21 gigabytes of sermon up to Dropbox. So, uh, so my friend's church could download it. And that was my sermon for that first night. It was utterly embarrassing. Here's what the psalmist is saying in verse one. The psalmist is saying that in times of trouble, God is both very present and, and able to help. I, I, I love the combination. God is willing and he's able. He's a very present help in time of trouble. And here's why. Verse 7 and 11 will repeat this. He's the Lord of hosts. More importantly, he's the God of Jacob. That speaks of the covenant God that we have, that covenants with us. He holds his promise whether I do or not. Nothing can prevent him from coming to our aid. That's the God that we serve. And so God is a very present help. That's who God is. Here's the second thing that the, that the psalmist tells us about God, that God has power to protect us. God is a deliverer. Look at the next section in our text, verse four through seven. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
So the psalmist reminds us of, of God's power to protect us, to protect us really against anything. And he, and he shows us this by giving us two contrasting, really two contradictory images. The, the, the first is in verse four. And this is a picture of really a serene celestial city. They, uh, the, the words are the city of God. Anytime you see the city, uh, the words city of God in your Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, it's talking about Jerusalem. Now, if you would go in your Bible and do what most of you don't do is go back and look at some of the maps, you'll see like I'm looking at a picture of Jerusalem and Jerusalem is kind of out in the middle of, of, of nowhere. It's bounded by walls. There are some pools, possibly some lakes in Jerusalem. There is no stream flowing through the, the, the city of Jerusalem. So what is the psalmist saying? He's giving us a, a picture of what can be. He's giving us a picture really of, of what actually is if God is in the midst of us, if God is our habitation. Uh, your life could be like falling apart, hell in a handbasket, sorry for the expression, like on the outside. But if God is near to you, if God is your holy habitation, then everything on the inside is as pristine and celestial. And it's, it's just like all is as it should be. And so the picture that, that, that the psalmist is giving us is, 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 is serene. It's a picture of God being in our midst. And then here's the opposite picture. Verse five and seven. The reality is it's, it's a, this, this, this pristine city is a city that's under siege. The, the armies of the enemies of God have surrounded this city. And we see that in verse six. Just look at a few of those words at your Bible. The nations raise the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The, the, the earth melts. And so the, the, the enemies of God are surrounding this city. And yet here's the picture the psalmist wants us to get. He's given us this picture of, of God's power to protect us against anything by showing how serene the city of God is, even when she's surrounded by her enemies. And that's the life that God wants for us. That's the life that God promises for us. And, and for us, this, 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 this is the picture of the challenges that we face when life is pressing us in, when, when life is people, as the people of God in a fallen world. Our lives can, be, can really feel engulfed by all the things that are surrounding us. All the trouble that are in our world leaks into us as we're trying to be obedient to God. But at the same time, we feel the pressure of the society around us. And so in verse four through seven, the psalmist is saying, when on the outside, external to us, there's this propensity to be, to be plagued by all the troubles of the world. The world is crashing in and we're doing our best just to fend it off. When we're surrounded by our enemies, even what is he saying? He's saying when the Lord is with us, we are as safe and secure as if we're singing the praises of Jesus in the celestial city around the throne of God with Jesus himself. I'm going to hone in on verse five. Verse five, the city is representative of our lives, I think. And and the, the psalmist is reminding us. Uh, all right. So chaos without but this city is really going to hold. She's not going to be moved. And then he tells us why the psalmist reflects back uh, and his meditation is on who God is and what God does. The city is not going to be moved first because he's already reminded us God is in the midst of her. Verse four, 
Second, God will help her. God will aid her. God will help her. Verse one. Thirdly, God will help her soon. That's what he's talking about in verse five. God will help her at the the dawn of day. That's an interesting phrase, the dawn of day. You know, there's a defining story for the nation of Israel. And of course, it's their exodus. It's their deliverance from 430 years of slavery out of out of Egypt. God uses Moses as a leader and he's aided by mighty miracles to defeat Pharaoh and ultimately set the Israelites free. And so their their freedom begins on the night of the Passover. God says, I'm going to I'm going to to, to kill the firstborn of, of of every family, except for those who have uh, who are covered by the blood of the lamb. And so they they uh, they slaughter these lambs. They take its blood, smear it on the door. And those families that are behind that blood uh, get saved. A picture of our salvation even today. And uh, that sets them out on their trek. And so they make this this slow, long trek on their way away from Egypt uh, towards the Red Sea. Unbeknownst to the Israelites, the Egyptian army is coming. And as soon as they figure that out, there's a real fear that sets in. And, and this is not just a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of, oh, my goodness, this is like the a real deal. They're going to kill us kind of an army that the Egyptian army, the Egyptian nation, they were the superpower of their day. And so Pharaoh wakes up. He realizes not only has he succumbed to the, the Israelite God and let the people go, he's let go his slave force, like the people doing all the labor labor. And so here, uh, Pharaoh hops on his chariot. He amasses his army and he I mean, he rushes out to go and recover uh, the Israelites and bring, uh, of course, bring them back into to captivity. And so if you're an Israelite, imagine this. Yeah, you're looking to the right. You got the Red Sea. You're looking back to the left and you got, oh, my gosh, there's this horde of an army coming towards me and they're going to destroy me. Uh, they're caught between Red Sea and a hard place. And of course, they look up to Moses and and they complain. And here's what they say to Moses. Moses, we're in, we're we're the graves in Egypt. Not enough for us that you need to bring us out in the middle of nowhere, that we would die here? Would it not have been better for us to stay as slaves in Egypt than to die out here? I love Moses' reaction. Of course, I'm embellishing a little bit. I'm telling you a story. But this was probably one of Moses' greatest moments because Moses encourages the people not to fear. He tells them that God would fight for them. And then I can only imagine Moses with the staff in his hand. He stretches out his hands over the Red Sea. And it happens. God, by his power, through the through the man Moses, causes the waters of the Red Sea to divide and allows this this horde of a nation to come through the Red Sea to the other side on dry land. Pharaoh's army's in tow. They're coming towards him. Moses and the Israelites get to the other side. They're on dry land. And all of a sudden, the river starts to crash down. The waters of the river start to crash down. Pharaoh realizes Oh, no, the God of Israel is helping them. He's attacking the Egyptians. And before you know it, the waters come crashing down and Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. So when does God cause the waters to crash down on the Egyptian army? It's that phrase when the morning dawns, when the morning dawns. So moving on. So in, in this sec, in this middle section of our text, Justice verses four through seven tells us about the past. Verse four, uh, eight through 11, the, the remaining of our text, the psalmist points us towards the future. He points us towards the victory that God gives us in the future. He points to a time when God will bring about an eternal 
worldly peace. And then we see another attribute of God, that God gains the victory. Verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes the wars to cease to end uh, to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this is a picture, a future picture. The, the, the battle is over. What battle? The, the battle to end all battles. This is nation against nation. This is uh, God's enemies against him. God brings all of that to an end. And the psalmist reminds us not just of God's power to protect us against really anything, but he's showing us God's complete victory over all the forces arrayed against him. And because we're with him, all the forces that are arrayed against us, his people. And, and it says it in verse eight. This is a picture of, a de, of the desolation of all of God's enemies. I think these verses function the same way that chapter 11 and 12 and Daniel function for us. If you recall that sermon last week. Uh, it's also the same as the book of Revelation. A lot of us are, are, are shy to read the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation tells us the end of everything before it happens. That's why it's there. And, and it alerts us to the, the, the certain victory that's coming for the people of God, for, for God himself. And because we're with him, it comes for us, too. That's the whole point of apocalyptic writing in our Bible. And, and it's this, it's to prove to us, it's to show us, to give us the hope that God wins. And because God wins, we win. I think it's a picture to calm our fears. It's a, it's a picture to stoke our hope because of the certain future that's absolutely coming. It's a picture of God's victory. And so to, to, to sum all of this up, here's what Psalm 46 is doing for us, church. Psalm 46 is giving us a picture of God, of, of who God is in his unequal love and his care for his people. And, and in doing so, the psalm serves as an invitation for us to respond to God, to respond to who he is, to respond to what he's done, to respond to what he, he will do. And Psalm 46 is inviting us to do three things. And that really is my second point. How does this relate to us? The psalmist is encouraging us and inviting us to respond in three ways. The first is to behold. The second is to be to be still. The third is to believe. Look down at verse eight. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought the desolations on the earth. So in this in this first invitation, the psalmist issues the invite to come behold the works of the Lord. We're being invited to behold, to, to look upon both our present situation, whatever that might be, and the promised future. And we're, we're invited to look at it with eyes of faith, to, to look for God's hand and what he's done and what he's promising to do for you. It's an invitation to see things through God's eyes, to, to let his perspective define your reality. You know, when we allow ourselves to be given over to despair and, and to fear, most of the time our fear has less to do with our own situation and more to do with our perspective or, or lack thereof. Uh, one of my favorite authors you guys know is Paul Miller and his, in one of my favorite books, A Praying Life, uh, he says this. He says, both the child and the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on darkness. The child focuses on shepherd. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? What is he saying? God in his kindness through this psalm 
He gives us a glimpse of, of his perspective. It's like the psalmist says, he, he brings us, he, he lifts us up to a rock so that we won't see the, the, the low level of life that we're looking. And we can see what God sees when he sees us. And so he lets us see the end of the story while we're in the middle of it. And so Transit Church, do this. If you don't do anything, do this. Don't give in to the temptation to title the chapter of your story before God is finished with it. God is your author. God is the author of all of our stories. Only he knows how they're going to end. And we should trust him in that. Psalm 46 also gives us a better and truer perspective of our own reality. It gives us God's perspective and God's perspective gives us hope, even when it seems like life is falling apart. And that's where the faith battle comes in, doesn't it? And so let me ask you just right here. Which perspective will you believe? Yours or, or God's? Here's what God does. God invites you to look upon your life situation with eyes of faith when he tells you to behold what he has done. But it's apparent it's not enough simply to behold, especially when things don't go our way. I mean, we're, we're like the Israelites, aren't we? So not too long after the Israelites cross the Red Sea, they get out in the middle of nowhere. They're in the wilderness and things aren't actually going how they hoped that they would go. And one one point, actually a couple points, uh, they, they have no water source. So they come to complaining to, to Moses and Moses says, you stop complaining to me, complaining to God. And then at another point, they, they start reflecting. They start reflecting on the goodness of their captivity in Egypt. And they think about the meat pots that they used to have and, uh, and the leeks and the onions. And they cry out to Moses like, oh, come on, Moses, we're missing all this stuff. And of course, aren't we just like the Israelites when we, when we think about the things that we, that we want that, that God's not providing for us? Uh, like they do, they, they, they went and looked for a plan B. And so uh, one day they decided that uh, Moses had gone up to the mountain, had stayed several days, 40 days, 40 nights. And so they took their gold. They gave it to Aaron and Aaron kind of tossed it up into air and tossed it up in the air. And of course, he didn't do that. He makes a golden calf and they start worshiping it as their God. And sometimes we're not any different. And so the psalmist says, it's good to behold the works of the Lord. but We also need to be still. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. I don't know if you noticed this. All of a sudden, the psalmist stopped talking to us and he allowed God to speak. And God opens his mouth and he tells us to stop talking and to be still. God speaks. But here's the thing that God is doing in this in this in these words. He's, he's not calling us to some monastic retreat, although that wouldn't be a bad thing. He doesn't ask us to spend a, a day in silent reflection, although that would be helpful. Contemplative practices of spiritual discipline are helpful for our spiritual maturation. But, but here's, the, here's the angle of, of, of these words in this text. He's calling the warriors, and honestly, he's, he's calling us. He's calling those of us who are fighting against him, and that's what verse 9 is, is suggesting. When verse nine says he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth, he breaks the, the, the bow and shatters a spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's talking to people like us. We're the ones that are that are bringing that kind of chaos, not just in the world to other people. We're bringing it 
to God. And God is saying, I'm the one that's going to cause that stuff to, 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 to cease. We're the ruthless ones coming against God, consumed sometimes with our own selfishness, ready to fight when we don't get our way, unwilling to make peace with those who've wronged us. And so what does God do? God calls people like us, warriors, dead set on fighting against anything that fights against us. He calls us to be worshipers. He calls those who war against him to stop, to be still, and to recognize that he is God and we're not. One of my favorite Proverbs, all the Proverbs are my favorite, but here's uh, one that I quote a lot. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a heart's man, uh, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And Psalm 46 really is the good word that has the propensity to make our hearts glad because our anxious hearts can create a lot of activity, can't they? Especially in the midst of chaos and trouble. But in verse 10, here's what God says to us. He says, stop. He actually says, shut up. Turn off the noise inside your head. Stop listening to yourself. Quit the pointless activity. Stop asserting yourself. I believe God is saying, listen to me. And perhaps he's even saying, look, look to me. I think God is speaking to our anxious hearts even today. Maybe he's speaking to you, Transit Church. Maybe he's speaking to you, whatever your name is. He's speaking to all of our self-assertive hearts. He's speaking to our cynicism. He's speaking to all the ways that we know more than we think we know. He's speaking to our, our minds and our intellect. And he says, be still. He says, I am God, me, not you. Not them, not chaos, not darkness, not even the sin within you. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted on the earth. God is inviting all of us to kill the arrogant, cynical noises and voices in our head that, that certainly know more about God than God knows about himself. And he's inviting you to listen to him, even now. I don't know what your posture is right now. But I think it would be cool if right now, like listen to me, you would tune into the, the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, as you're listening to me, as God speaks to you to be still and know that he is God. And these are the words that God is saying over you. He's saying, listen to the voice that in power causes wars to cease and the earth to melt. Listen to that same voice, my voice that in love calls you to become my child. God's inviting you. I'm inviting you to listen to his voice. So listen to my voice, the voice that calls you to myself. God says to us, be still, to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Be still. I am your refuge and strength. I am your very present help in trouble. You don't have to fear. I am with you. You are mine. I won't fail. I won't be defeated. I will be exalted over everything. I'll be exalted even over the sins of your life. I'll be exalted over the chaos of your life. I'll be exalted over the darkness in your life. I'll be exalted over the evils that come against you. Be still and know that I alone am God. I hope you receive that because that's God's promise to you. Not today, just today, every day. Because, you know, the cynic responds with the, with the reasons why none of this can be true. And, and the fearful person lists other things to be fearful about. The arrogant person responds with resentment. But here's what true followers of Jesus 
do with these things. We respond with a confession of faith and we say the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is my fortress. God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Behold, be still. And lastly, and we'll conclude on this, the, the psalmist encourages us to believe. He encourages us to believe. And I think this is the big idea of Psalm 46, that we're supposed to trust God and trust God alone. Trust God above ourselves. Trust God above our knowledge. Trust God above our money. Trust God above uh, our relationships. Trust God and no one else. You know the temptation in the midst of chaos is, is to rely on what you can grasp, what you can understand, and what you can see. And God simply here calls forth faith in him alone. He calls us not to be like the Israelites and turn to a plan B and make a golden calf and start worshiping some other God, especially when things don't go our way. The, the, the call is to trust God as, as your strength, to confess the things that make you anxious and let him give you the courage that you need to fight and to stand firm when you feel tempted to fear, to trust God as your refuge. Why? Because situations may change. They're always going to change. God will not change. It may seem like your world is falling apart. God says he's unmovable. And so we can trust him as our strength. We can trust him as a very present help in time of need, in time of trouble. Trust him even when you don't understand it. And then let that trust, that faith, find expression in how we obey God in our obedience. And honestly, that's going to look really different for all of us. Maybe faith looks like growing in your generosity. Maybe faith looks like hoping instead of giving in to despair and fear. Maybe faith looks like forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe it's a willingness to trust again. Maybe it's simply admitting that you're wrong. Maybe it's loving somebody enough to tell them about Jesus. And for some of you, the faith God is calling you to is to trust in him and in, in, in God himself for the very first time. Admitting your sin, admitting your failure and asking Jesus to forgive you. And I want to linger here just for a minute, because here's what this psalm is really leading us to. Ultimately, Jesus is the solution that Psalm 46 requires for us, isn't he? Jesus is the ultimate good word that makes our hearts glad. He's God's ultimate provision and protection. Jesus is the one that's prevailed over all of our enemies and brings us into this celestial city with himself. Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our strength. He's our very present help in trouble. Because of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. In the person of Jesus, God dwells amongst his people. He's the one that came from heaven condescending himself and born as a baby. He grows up. He wears our clothes, walks our roads. He eats our food. He becomes like us to identify with us so that ultimately he would die on a cross for us, for our sins, not his own. And because Jesus was raised from the grave through grace, victoriously over sin and death, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to fear. That's the message of this psalm. Not even death itself is something that we have to fear. Why? Because God is with us. We shall not be moved. And so if, if I can encourage you to anything to do, Transit Church, let's respond like this to this psalm today. 
Firstly, the, the psalmist wants us to behold. And let me ask you this question. How has and how is God intervening in your life? How has he promised to intervene in the future? That's worth some reflection. I think we should respond by being still, like, like literally having moments in our day that, uh, like the contemplatives that you can go get a book and read about, actually mo- have moments of silence and solitude so they can hear not themselves and the worries of their hearts and the externalities of our lives, but that we can hear the voice of God. And so where do you need to stop warring against him and start worshiping him as ruler and king over all things, even over the crevices of your life? And lastly, we need to believe. What do you need to trust God so that you can go forward in faith and not fear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that it won't return void and that it would be useful for your people uh, to grow them, to sustain them, to encourage them, to challenge them. And to, and to make us like you. God, I, I, I can't think of no better prayer for us to end on than the, the words of this psalm that really pray for us. And, uh, and so we say these reflectively, Lord God, you are our refuge and strength. You are a very present help in trouble. Though the waters of our lives roar and foam, though the mountains of our lives tremble at the waters swelling, our declaration is that The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord, help us not to just say these words, but help us to to believe them. Give us faith for them. Help us to see Jesus in them and help us to look to him. Refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen.